back to another episode of Public Problems. Uh, once again, today I'm with a few students from the Bush School. Uh, we're going to cover a report that they spent this semester working on, and they have picked a very interesting and timely topic that we'll get to. But I'd like to begin by letting the students introduce themselves so you can have a name with the voices. So please uh, introduce yourselves. So I am Jair Gonzalez. I'm Christina Morrison. I'm Raina Willembrink. And I'm Lizzie Huey. Excellent. So let me begin by saying thanks uh, for making the time today to talk with me about your project, and thanks for having this conversation with me and allowing me to uh, post it for general knowledge. So thanks for that. Um, you focus in your report on issues with the U.S.-Mexico border, in particular the Texas-Mexico border, and looking at the relationships between federal-state relationships and, uh, and crime as those things pertain to the border. So what made the group pick this topic? Why were you interested you could pick any topic and this is the one you went with? So what was the reason for this topic? Sure, so I think I can answer to that. Um, I grew up in Del Rio, Texas, which is a border town. Uh, it's bordering uh, Ciudad La Cuña, Mexico. And um, I mean, I, I guess you could just say I was brought up and experienced um, First of all, a lot of uh, diversity in terms of culture, but also I did see, um, you know, the massive amount of uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement especially, um, and I always wondered why, and obviously as I grew up and I was exposed to uh, more of these problems, I, I started to realize it was kind of a big issue, especially when I talked to my family members and how, uh, how it's kind of like progressed as time has gone by, how it's uh, getting a little more uh, serious or getting... It, they've gotten better equipped to deal with it with the issue when before you could just walk across the river kind of mm -hmm. kind of like that yeah um so i was just exposed from it uh, at a young age and i proposed to it and they thought it was uh, more interesting than uh, some of the other topics that came up so we just went with that Excellent. well good i'm glad to have some firsthand uh experience to relate to the product uh to the project and i think you're right uh your perception of it changing over time and the seriousness of it and the prevalence of it is something that has definitely, I think, ramped up over at least the last four or five years and probably going back further than that for sure. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm really interested to talk through the history and all the different factors that the group identified. So let's start with kind of just an overview of the topic. Um, you know, the title of your report is Texas-Mexico Border Crime and Federal-State Relationships. So what types, of, without going into all the details just yet, what types of things were y'all trying to get at with this report? What were you trying to understand? So we kind of realized that border security and um, just like kind of the overwhelming problem of what happens at the border and how things are handled is related to two big things. It's first related to the federal government's relationship with Texas specifically in our case and how they, in a lot of cases, will... Um, issue a lot of unfunded mandates and how that plays out at the border and then also how crime that happens at the border and because of immigration persists and how that affects the border as well. Excellent. So one of the things that we've already mentioned is that this has definitely changed over over time, even over the course of the life of, of the group members here. So what is the background and the history of this issue between the Texas and Mexico border and how that's kind of played out in, um, you know, uh, throughout time. So in our report, 
report, we present a timeline that lists all of the important dates and events that shaped our border security into what it is today. So this information was gathered from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection website. Mm -hmm. It begins in 1904 when mount, mounted guards from the U.S. Immigration Service were sent to the border to prevent illegal immigrants from crossing the border and typically operating out of El Paso, Texas. And then within the history, we have discussed how the relationship between the federal government and the state of Texas has evolved and changed over time. And also data from the Government Accountability Office reveals that in 2004, the violent crime rates amongst all of the border counties in Texas were 480.5 per 100,000 people. And by 2005, the growing rate of border-related crimes in Texas prompted the state to supplement federal efforts to combat criminal activity. So specifically in 2013, the Legislative Budget Board's Texas Border Security Funding Overview outlined that the state's first border security efforts were Operation Linebacker in 2005, Operation Rio Grande in 2006, and Operation Wrangler in 2007. What are these, uh, these different uh, programs that you mentioned? Are they different strategies for addressing the inflow of immigrants? Are they more geared at dealing with the crime rate? Kind of give me a little bit of context for how this, uh, how these different uh, moments in history that you mentioned, what are they, what are they, what do they look like? Just maybe a couple of them would be helpful. So Operation Linebacker was um, where federal funding was provided through grants to expand local police capacity at the southern border. And then um, in 2006 with Operation Rio Grande, that was also federal grant funding to coordinate both local and state law enforcement organizations in um, revealing and combating criminal activity. And then in 2007 with Operation Wrangler, it was uh, put in effect to place 6,800 law enforcement agents and which included 604 Texas National Guard associations into crime and drug hotspots for a total of 12 days to help combat criminal activity. It's kind of like something we came across here because, as you can see, some of these operations, they focus mostly on the secondary crimes, right, because if we take into consideration, I mean, crossing the border is, an elite, is, a, is a crime, right? Mm -hmm. It's illegal. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see that these operations – kind of try to combat just crime around the border having to do with the border and not really that illegal crossing per se, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. You know, so a lot of these, is, is, so it's a case in a, that a lot of these that you're mentioning aren't really dealing with the core issue of like border enforcement. They're more okay. dealing with the crime that's occurring at the border as a result of it being the border and there being a lot of illegal crossings and that comes along with my guess is and you can tell me a, 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 about this but has a lot to do with drugs and drug cartels as well is that is that true exactly yeah that's, that's, that's exactly what, the, what it's about i mean yeah i mean you just you just said it <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <coughs> good i just provided the answer for you look at me there, <laughs> doing the instructor thing um so in thinking about the history it, it's a nice overview of some of the recent attempts to deal with crime at the border. Um, does the group have any sense of the actual flow of uh, illegal immigration um, or of migrants into the country at the border? I mean, is this, 
is it just that the that the crime has upticked because there's more you know violence associated with drug cartels in general or is part of it that the amount of traffic across the border has also been increasing over time it's a little bit of both it's that um especially in the past decade decade and a half we've seen an uptick in um crime just like by people who are coming here illegally and crime at the border but then at the same time in that same decade and a half we've also seen an uptick in just immigration as a whole it's been a very prevalent problem for the last 20 or 30 years and in the past 10 or 15 it's really seen a spike and one thing you mentioned here in your report that has been a uh, I know has been a political talking point is the prevalence of gangs in particular as part of the uh, as part of the drug cartel enforcement and one of the ones that you mention is uh, MS13 which has been one that the president has talked about and has come up in the political sphere so what role uh, is MS13 playing in this based on your research? MS13 is a huge um, cartel and crime organization that's a transnational crime organization. And so not only does it contribute a lot more crime, um, but it's also a little bit of an example of the fault of America. So if you look at the history of MS13, it was actually a group of immigrants that used to live in California, and then America deported them. I believe it was um, during President Clinton's administration. And so they ended up getting deported, and they got sent back to Latin America. And the problem was they were coming from America, and then they were put in Latin America, which is obviously very crime-ridden, and then they just came right back. And the only thing they've done is cause even more crime. And so I think it's both an example of what America needs to do to kind of find a long-term solution to it. And then it's also an example of the crime prevalence in America because of illegal immigration. So building on that, you know, this first little bit, you know, um, we've been talking about crimes at the border. And as was mentioned, crossing into the country, not through proper channels is itself a crime. Um, But One of the things you mentioned early on in your report here in the history section on crime is that while there uh, has been upticks in crime at the border, what do we know generally about immigrants, uh, either legal through the traditional, uh, through the, not through the traditional, but through the proper channels versus not through the proper channels, once uh, immigrants are actually in the U.S., Part of this rhetoric also, or part of the conversation, is that um, when immigrants come to the U.S., they bring more crime with them into the U.S. And so you mentioned here in your section on crime that this is a little bit of of a misconception, even though there's a decent amount of crime at the actual border itself where the immigrants are trying to cross in. In general, are immigrants more or less likely to commit crimes compared to native uh, native born folks? And what's what's that relationship like? Um, so, as a whole, when you're excluding the actual crime of coming to America illegally, if you're just looking at their secondary crimes, they're actually significantly less likely to commit to commit. Know the exact reason for that, but we do know that that's the general trend. So, if you look at in our report, we kind of talked about Texas and murder convictions and um, criminal convictions, and they're actually approximately 16% lower for people that come here 
from other countries as opposed to people that are native-born Americans. So aside from the crime of coming into the country um, and then some of the drug-related crimes at the border and the things that go along with that, actual immigrants as they become part of the U.S. are less likely to commit crime than native-borns. That part is true, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. But So what your group mostly focused on here, though, is the crime at the actual border and the relationship between uh, the U.S. and Texas and how to uh, how to better patrol or enforce the border um, and uh, the crimes there is sort of where you focus the report, right? Yes. Excellent. So let's move on into that. We've got a nice history of different uh, different projects or different strategies for dealing with crime at the border. And I imagine that part of this is really going to hinge on the nature of federalism in the U.S. as to why this is a problem that exists and why it persists. And so in your report, you talk a little bit about the relationship between levels of government, the federal government and the state government of Texas in particular. So tell me a little bit about that relationship and why it is contributing to the problem persisting. Yeah, so I think when we um, kind of dug deep into the empirical data, we found that, um, you know, just this evolution um, of the relationship, I think, uh, between Texas and the federal government has evolved. Um, and just kind of seeing the federal government um, kind of uh, not doing enough. And so, you know, you look back um, during the Obama administration and just this mass uh, people's moving um across the border and um, just this uh, Texas feeling like they didn't really have a, um, you know, a large um, support system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, of um, Having the federal government kind of help them um, figure out kind of what to do with this influx of, um, of peoples. So um, we kind of had looked and just had seen just through looking through the um, Texas uh, legislature budget um, the legislative budget board and um, looking through various um, committees uh, at, like on the Texas legislature that uh, really uh, primarily focus on border security. Um, we had found actually in between 2018 and 2019, the Texas legislature had actually allocated $800 million um, towards uh, state border security, um, which was a huge increase um, from what we've been seeing over the years, and a lot of a lot of this, as um, you know, and I think people get really confused because I think people assume when um, Texas is allocating this large portion of appropriation to address border security, people think that that entails um, that um, DPS, or the Department of Public Safety, and that's a Texas um, state agency. They're the ones going in and apprehending. Um, people that are that are committing that first crime of um, illegal entry and so um, but what people don't understand is actually that DPS um, has no authority um, in the matter to catch um, or seize their they're really their only um, mission is to address those secondary crimes that we had uh, spoken about earlier so really we see this huge disconnect of um, money is being appropriated to address um, this this huge issue of, of crime um, but really the purview of the Department of um, Public Safety, you know, really has such limited jurisdiction 
um, in really facing this. And so you kind of see this just this gap of um, clearly there's been an increase in crime at the border. Um, the federal government is, you know, clearly not doing all that they can to really address it. Um, therefore, kind of, um, you know, that burden has been put on the Texas legislature to allocate, um, you know, a pretty significant portion of money um, to address those secondary crimes. And so really, that's kind of what we've seen in just the evolution of why the problem has kind of persisted. I think um, a lot of it has also stemmed from, um, you know, kind of has, as Raina had spoken earlier, just these uh, grant fundings and, uh, you know, uh, that the federal government has kind of tried to attempt to do. But um, as most of us understand and know that whenever there's any type of federal grant funding, there's always strings that come attached with that. Um, and so um, we see a lot of, you know, uh, burden of, of unfunded mandates from the federal government as well to Texas um, and just kind of some overreach. Um, and so uh, when we had spoken to um, a couple different people at the Department of Public Safety, just trying to understand that, that relationship um, between their state agency and Borders and Customs, for instance, um, they spoke heavily just about how for years that relationship has been really contentious. Um, and really, ultimately, it, luckily, we've kind of seen this trend over the, the course of the last say, um, two sessions, legislative sessions, where Texas has been allocating more funding um, to address this, we have actually seen the relationship between both agencies, um, U U.S. Borders and Customs and the Department of Public Safety. Um, that relationship has, in some ways, um, improved because I think everybody's now a little bit more on the same page, but for years that was not the case. And so you kind of had this conflicting relationship, if you will. So... It seems like it's the case that federal agencies like the U.S. Uh, Customs and Border Patrol are charged with uh, enforcing border security and that uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety, that's not their role. Their role instead is dealing with some of the consequences, really, of failed border security policies. I mean, is that right? Absolutely. And it's just crimes that really affect the state as a whole. So, you know, when we kind of looked at, you know, sex trafficking, for instance, or drug trafficking, um, you know, really ultimately. And, and it's even hard because still DPS has such limited jurisdiction in the sense of, like, if there's a certain uh, amount of weight of drug, for instance, like cocaine or marijuana, for instance, coming across the border, um, it, it has to, if it reaches a certain limit, um, then, you know, uh, U.S. Borders of Customs get involved and the DEA get involved. And so it's, it's still just kind of this interesting relationship where, um, you know, Texas really doesn't have that much purview over kind of what's happening at the border. And I think it causes a lot of frustration, especially when we've spoken to people in the uh, Department of Public uh, Safety, just, um, you know, that frustration of, well, there's just such an unmet need and the government has failed to kind of, um, you know, instigate and fail to, um, to really attack this issue at, at large. Um, therefore, it causes us to have to allocate these extra funds, but yet we still continually have limited jurisdiction and what, what our ability is to do. So it just it's just this kind of this ever, I guess, combative um, issue of, you know, states' rights versus federal rights and, and just kind of this, this influx of back and forth in this. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about 
the types of crimes and you you were hitting on them and and I think in your report you blo- uh, broadly defined them as trafficking um, and there are a few uh, few things that you identify as contributing to the crime of trafficking. So tell me a little bit about what you found in your research about the variables that are contributing to the incidence of, of trafficking in particular. And then after that, I want to move on to talking specifically about the drug cartels and their power and, and power in both the U.S. and in Mexico. But let's start with the, the crime of trafficking as one of the specific crimes that DPS or Texas has to deal with as a consequence of, of being a border state. So what are some of the things that you identified that are related with the crime of trafficking? Yeah. So one of the things that we kind of looked at is why is trafficking such a big deal? And specifically, we talked about human trafficking because we kind of addressed drug trafficking underneath drug cartels. And so there's a couple of factors that influence it. Number one is international barriers. And so um, it's kind of like the end all be all of immigration that when we send someone back to another country, the country has to accept them. And a lot of times countries will make it really hard to send people back. And so America has done a really good job of catching a lot of human traffickers, but we've had a really hard time actually getting back to their countries and actually deporting them, which only makes the problem worse because then they stay here. And with prison overcrowding and all of those like various problems, it's been a really big issue as to keeping them off the streets and keeping people safe because of it. So then number two is just resources. So crime persists as a whole because of a lack of resources. There really isn't enough time. There isn't enough money. There isn't enough really anything to be able to effectively combat trafficking, specifically human trafficking. Art that plays into is education. And we kind of laid out these in our report. And so education is just the more educated you are, the less likely you are to commit crimes. And that's true of anything. Um, But it's especially prevalent in immigration. Um, Like we talked about, the secondary crimes are really the ones that we addressed. And so once people get here, if they are more educated, they're less likely to be involved in human trafficking because they're going to have an easier time finding a job elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last and perhaps kind of most surprising crackdown, um, not crackdown, but kind of factor that we discovered was the drug crackdown. So criminals are going to be criminals no matter what, and they have to make their money. And so what we found is that the more that America and countries around the world crack down on drugs, the more likely it is that human trafficking is going to replace it. And so that's probably one of the biggest contributing factors is that we've done a really good job of taking drugs off the street but people have just replaced that crime with another one. So So the idea there is that uh, people, uh, there are markets and people have to find a way or do find ways to make money. And if you crack down on one activity that allows them to do that, there are substitution effects, which means they shift to a different type of uh, illegal activity. Yes, for sure. So that's a nice uh, transition, I think, to talking about the drug cartels as we have maybe done a better job of uh, cracking down on drug cartels. What what is the what is the state of that with crime related to drugs in particular? Uh, I mean, I would say that drug cartels play the primary role, and I mean, I would personally, as a has got interested in law enforcement, I would personally say that they're the biggest problem. Um, and I think they're absolutely crippling Mexico and the United States and obviously the border that they share, um, especially um, 
I'm sorry, what was the original question? I just I, <laughs> Yeah, just talking about I mean one of the one of the things that you talk about in the report uh, under thinking about crime as a as a challenge for the border is drug cartels. So I was just wondering, you know, we talked about human trafficking. What is what is the relationship between drug cartels and crime at the border? I mean, I think they play to your point, I think they play one of the largest uh, role, uh, roles, but I was just wondering what you found on that as part of your research. Sure. So they play a huge role in terms of illegal immigration and the crossing, obviously the crossing of uh, illegal drugs into the United States. Just That's just what drug cartels do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's their job. Um, that's their uh, modus operandi, if you, if you want to call it, um, just to cross borders through ports of entry and uh, through also by using people um, to cross uh, these drugs um, by either, you know, exploitation or et cetera. Um, in terms of if they can't pay the, uh, the fee to cross over, they just you know, charge them with, uh, I don't know, taking a few kilos of cocaine, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, sorry, I'm getting so lost. I just, I can't. I understand. <laughs> just the basic gist of it is that drug cartels play a huge part in perpetuating crime at the border. So I think like their biggest thing is that they don't have another job. Their job is to commit crimes and that's how they make their money. And so I think like what Jay was kind of getting at is that as they commit all of these crimes, they're going to make money and people really want to come to America because drug cartels don't only commit crimes at the borders. They like rule Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so people would love to come to America and they'll do anything which only which only makes the drug cartels worse. Yeah, I was actually just today I was watching a, a special on Vice News that was talking about the power of drug cartels in Mexico um and not just historically but to but today and the the folks that they were interviewing and talking about both from uh uh, folks in the police forces within Mexico who were interviewed um, under kind of uh, covering up their faces and it being uh, anonymous and also with um, uh, actual uh, drug cartels, people running the drugs and their comments in the, in these interviews was that essentially that the drug cartels do run Mexico and that they also have completely infiltrated the U.S. uh Customs and Border Patrol, that is just a well-known uh, thing to the drug cartels that you have certain folks within the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol that have a price just like anyone else and that they're often paid off and also part of engaging in this large-scale uh, corruption and, and illegal activity. So it seems like the drug cartels really do have, I mean, uh, have a grip on on Mexico and the Mexican police forces and even at the, at the border as well for us forces, as I understand it. Um, so yeah. what I got tunnel visioned um, and talking about this, I was going to really focus. We really did touch on the uh, Mexican government and the police force. How mm-hmm. I mean, they even had to completely rehaul and revamp the police force because it was so flooded with corruption and, um, police that were just like you said they had a price and they were bought out and they're protecting uh drug cartel members and completely crippling the the government so i would definitely agree that they have infiltrated and they completely do control mexico um especially when you talk about um especially if you consider excuse me the violent nature of drug cartels Mm -hmm. i mean 
it doesn't yeah. run, run like a normal business. If you don't play along, you're probably going to be killed or, you know, with someone or some member of your family is going to be killed. So, I mean, where does that leave you? What does, what does that really do to your, to your will or the, to political, to the political will of Mexico's officials? And- yeah. And that's something the same report was highlighting that the, the, the gruesome nature of the consequences, if you don't participate are, you know, having your head chopped off um, or pretty, pretty violent things. So it seems like that, this problem at the border is a function um, of a number of things. And in part, it has to do with uh, the power of drug cartels. In part, it has to do with the desperation of people to seek a better life. And in part, it has to do with a lack of funding from the U.S. federal government to enforce these things in the way that they need to, do, need to which is a, you know, a lack of overall resources. And I think that you know, talks about the hints at the relationship between the U.S. federal government and the Texas state government, so that the Texas state government really has had to pick up a lot of the funding of dealing with the secondary and secondary effects of people crossing into the U.S., particularly to uh, that are that are associated with the drug cartels to run drugs in the U.S. And so part of this is a immigration issue, but part of this is really just a drugs issue and drugs being smuggled into the U.S. and the crime associated with that. I mean, is that a fair representation of, of what you see going on here? Absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's drug cartel and drug problem um, and corruption as well. I mean, how do you account for that? How do you, I guess, flush them out safely? Or, you know, you just, I guess, you, what I just I was just thinking you can't ever, you can't really quantify the effect because... You know, who's going to come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm corrupt. You know, you can't really quantify if, if we are doing enough, but if it's just that, then that's the main issue, right? Yeah. So that's the underlying issue. So we've been we've been talking around some of this, but let's uh, we'll be a little bit more explicit. Who are the stakeholders? I mean, you lay this out pretty clearly in your report. So who are the, the really key stakeholders and what are their roles in this uh, in this problem? Sure. Well, um, we identified. Uh, couple of stakeholders here and it's the Texas government and the federal government specifically Texas uh, like Lizzie mentioned is the DPS or the Department of Public Safety and like you mentioned they're tasked with uh, dealing with the secondary issues um, that stem from this problem so that's why they allocated around 800 million for that board for that state border security which is actually an increase of 250 million from oh, yeah. 2015 yeah. so it's kind of a big, big issue especially I mean like just like Lizzie said it's it's kind of a, a situation where they're tasked with dealing with a problem that is not their own and they're not given enough help to handle that problem. So it's just, it's a, it's a little unfair in that regard. Um, when you take into consideration the uh, functions that a federal government um, is, uh, in, is uh, bestowed with, which is protection of the homeland, which involves uh, protecting each state from invasion, which translates a little bit uh, into that illegal immigration and crossing of uh, uh, illegal um, substances and just the entire crime that's, that happens around the border. So more specifically in the federal government, we have the departments and uh, their their job, uh, which is, uh, like I just said, securing and managing the borders. Um, and obviously they're a stakeholder because um, 
they, I mean, that's their main function, securing and managing the borders. That's why they have that $44.1 billion in discretionary spend, uh, spending money. Um, so that's those are the two um, stakeholders we outlined just because of their functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so given the, um, the nature of some of these relationships and the, the increase uh, the amount of these things, what what did, what did the group find as some potential solutions or some potential ways to to mitigate this? So we kind of address solutions in two parts. We um, kind of attack solutions for crime and then solutions for the relationship and kind of how to deal with that. So I guess I'll talk about crime first. So one of the things that we talked about, and it was probably one of the more impactful things that we found is uh, there was a representative that was talking about the border, and she said that violent drug cartels are using more modern technology to breach our border than we're using to secure it. We can't double down on a 14th century solution to a 21st century challenge if we want a viable long-term solution. And I think that was kind of the focus of our report, is that everything that we've been doing is really out of date. Um, We have border security infrastructure. We have border security technology that's been there for decades. And it hasn't been updated, and we haven't put in the time, and we haven't put in the money to make it better. And it just means that the drug cartels that people who are breaching the border illegally are able to get over that much easier. And so our solutions were kind of to fix that. It was, number one, to fix the infrastructure to get um, better central um, places whenever there's border crossing. So to get better buildings, better security, that kind of thing. And then number two, to improve the technology. And whether that comes in the form of drug screeners or whether it comes in the form of canines or whatever it might be, we need to improve that technology. And specifically in our report, we kind of talked about um, improving drug screeners and improving canines just because those are two really easy ways to catch drugs, which if you can catch drugs, you can kind of cut off a lot of the drug cartel's power. So, And you also talked about the relationship between Texas and the federal government as well. Is that right? Yes. So when it comes to the relationship between the federal and state government, Our proposed solution would be to pass the Texas Senate Concurrent Resolution 1. Um, It was previously introduced in November of 2014 with the goals of reversing and halting certain mandates that are unfunded by the federal government. And in regards to border security, this resolution primarily refers to when Customs and Borders step on private land without consulting local and state governments and basically the failure of the federal government to address these secondary crimes. So, and we also, um, we had spoken to Senator Creighton's office, um, actually, um, just to get some kind of background. And really, ultimately, this um, resolution had heightened in a time where, um, really, they felt that the federal government, um, well, they were allocating, number one, um, I, I think they were appropriating around, like, $850 million at the time. And they, um, ultimately, Senator Creighton had felt that um, the federal government was just truly like overstepping their power, but yet they, the Texas legislature was allocating so much money to this problem that was not being solved by the federal government. And so um, really this resolution um, was um, to call out the federal government and demand that um, that they, uh, you know, that they were violating the 10th Amendment essentially um, and just their powers within the 10th Amendment um, of, um, you know, decreasing state rights and bypassing state and local laws um, when addressing um, these secondary crimes. And so really, ultimately, um, our solution um, really um, 
was to um, to pass that that Texas res- resolution in hopes that the federal government would um, really reconsider their strategy on how they work with the Texas legislature and the Department of Public Safety um, moving forward. And so that was something that, um, in speaking to Senator Creighton's office and doing some research um, from the uh, Border Security uh, Committee um, in the Texas legislature, um, those were some some things that we just really found were, were really key in kind of moving forward um, with um, trying to solve or fix the relationship between the federal and state. So is the idea with the um, with this Texas uh, SCR1, Senate Concurrent Resolution 1, is it that the federal government should provide resources to unfunded mandates, or is it that the federal government is doing too much in the state of Texas? It sounded like a little bit of both there. So it, it, it kind of is. So it's you know kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Is there is some grant funding, but there's always strings that come attached with that, and and really ultimately a lot of the bigger issues is you know a lot of these smaller counties um, uh, that you know, have been dealing with, you know, primarily the second, the effects of the secondary crime um, at the border. Um, You know, the federal government has, number one, not really um, kind of, I guess, really ultimately kind of what it is, is like a mission drift. It's kind of like they're not, I think, um, solving the issue in a way that is really been effective. I mean, clearly, as we, we see you know, the Texas legislature has allocated so much money um, to, to help these smaller counties and um, to really help that the, the secondary issues at the border. And so really it's kind of twofold. It's that the federal government has, yeah, in some capacity, um, I think allocated resources, but in ways that obviously, as you know, we've addressed has not been effective um, in addressing the issue, um, but then also to overstepping um, their their boundaries and and a lot of it has to do with private land and, and um, just kind of how um, you know the procedure of, of going on someone's private property um, that basically falls under you know state and local law um, that a lot of the uh, U.S. Board of Customs are not um, adhering to and so that's kind of the twofoldness I guess if you will of that resolution. Got it. So taking all of this together, the the relationship between the U.S. federal government and Texas um, in terms of border security and secondary and tertiary effects related to that, and then thinking about uh, crime as a, as a as one of the secondary and tertiary effects of issues at the border, um, kind of pulling this all together, what was uh, what was the main? What are the main conclusions that the group came up with pulling all of this together? Um, well, I think just like Lizzie mentioned, um, this concurrent resolution one is probably what we thought was the best uh, course of action um, in order to strengthen the relationship between the federal and the state government, um, and specifically reversing those mandates that, like she said, bypassed the local and state law, um, just in order to help and strengthen the local and state federal law enforcement collaboration at that border to just get better, obviously. Um, and additionally, I think the last thing we said was that, oh, exactly what Christina mentioned was that we need to update the infrastructure that's already existed, existing at the ports of entry and 
I mean, I, they, I mean, just do in doing that, do our best to prevent legal drug entry into the country. Yeah, um, and the other piece does really seem to be updating the as you as the report mentions the the infrastructure and the technology just to keep up with the cleverness and the resources of the drug cartels, if nothing else. Yeah, and that kind of like ties back into the Senate bill too. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's going to be an individual state thing. So the, the border obviously includes more than just Texas. Yeah. But Texas's infrastructure is particularly bad compared to that of maybe Arizona. And so one of the things that's really important about the federal government is that they allow the states to do what's necessary to update their own borders as opposed to maybe updating them as a whole. Because it's really not going to be effective if they do that. So the states, the state is responsible, Texas is responsible for updating the infrastructure and their own technology at the borders, that's not a federal, that's not a federal issue. Yeah, unfortunately, it is. That's uh, wild. Up to Texas, which is not necessarily the best situation, yeah, but sure. uh, that's kind of part of the bill, too, is to, like, maybe get funding, but do it Texas's way, so to speak. Excellent. Is there anything else that we haven't covered from your report or from your time researching this that you think would be useful or interesting to share with the listeners? Specifically why I proposed this topic was because I used to live maybe 20 feet from the Rio Grande and um, it was in my backyard. We would swim in it all the time. You could see Mexico right on the other side. People would have their cookouts. And I would always just see and hear, uh, especially at night, Border Patrol agents and their boats and, you know, just this and that and all this other technology. And, um, we actually had our, one of our jet skis stolen um, and taken to the other side, which was a little, a little weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, can, you can see the mud tracks in the in the river as they took it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that in itself is, is a crime, but it's <laughs> definitely a property crime. Yeah, <laughs> I think that just like speaks to the life at the border. I guess mm-hmm. um, it's worse in other places than it is there, but. Um, yeah, I wanted to point that out, a little fun fact. Yeah. I don't think that uh, the typical American really understands what the conditions are like in border towns, for sure. Um, and it's something that has been so politicized as well by both parties that uh, it's hard to even find an accurate picture of it. And so it's interesting to have your, you know, your firsthand experience of what it was like to grow up on the border and then some of these examples of, you know, uh, things that you wouldn't even think about, you know, or, or most people wouldn't think about as a, pro- a private property uh, crime, but also just kind of seeing the the way in which these relationships have changed over time, just in your time uh, being alive and being at the border. Um, so those really do help color in the picture of, of, of what it's like. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your work, team. Thank you for... Um, sharing your research with me and for talking about it, uh, uh, talking through it with me. And, uh, hopefully this is, uh, informative and interesting to the, uh, to the listeners. So thank you so much for all of your work and, uh, looking forward to sharing this one. Thank you. (laughs) 